welcome everybody to another episode of the China Startup Pulse, a podcast that brings you ideas, insights about what's happening in the China startup community by inviting the people on the ground that are making things happening. My name's Oscar. I'm one of the new hosts for the China Startup Pulse team. Today, we're going to be talking with Brian Chan, an entrepreneur and a creativity consultant that came to China 10 years ago, and he's going to share his experience from the moment he decided that he needed a change when he was working in a multinational back in the US to how he landed in China and how he eventually launched his company out of a need that he identified in the market. Through this company, he's also going to share some ideas about the innovation space in China, what's happening, key ideas that are sometimes misunderstood from outside of China, and how this Chinese innovation is now crossing borders and making it to other markets. Without further ado, let's welcome Brian. Welcome everybody to the China Startup Pulse, bringing you interesting people to give you insights about what's happening in the startup community in China. My name is Oscar Ramos. I'm going to be your host for today. I'm a new host for the China Startup Pulse, and I have the pleasure today to bring you Brian Tam from Let's Make Great and Proto. Yo. Brian has been 10 years in China. We've been friends for a long, long time, so it's a great pleasure <laughs> to have Ryan for my, first, for my first podcast. Ryan has a very interesting story. He's born in New York, raised in, in New Jersey, but he's actually, his family actually comes from, from Hong Kong. His parents uh, moved to, to, New, York, uh, to yeah. New York in the 70s, and, uh, and then he's coming back to China. Yeah. Uh, to reverse this this trend, <laughs> and it's a very interesting, very interesting family background. Uh, his dad was the the founder of the first Chinese magazine uh, in New York. He was an, an immigrant uh, hustler that obviously this concept of the six six nine working <laughs> six days uh, a week nine to nine were totally totally normal. And yeah. his mom was more a risk averse person working as a as an office manager. So he had the opportunity to to view both sides mm -hmm. of the equation and started his, uh, his, uh, his career uh, in a very traditional path, college, business education, working a bit multinational, until yep. finally in his, uh, his late, late 20s, he started to see that, uh, that he didn't fit that, that regular path. Yeah. And, and, and going back to, to his family, his dad was an entrepreneur. His, uh, his grand grandfather was uh, one of the first exterminators in, right. uh, in Hong Kong. And one of your grand-grand-grand-grandparents was actually also a, a pioneer right. uh, because he was one of the first Western doctors in, um, in China. So he decided to take a shortcut and as a, as a strategy, use English teaching to come to China. That's that right. was brought you here. And after a few years uh, on the ground, you decided to start your own company. So please... Tell us a little bit about, uh, about Let's Met Great and about this journey of coming to China and, and launching your, your company. Yeah, so Let's Met Great is the name of the company. It's a very odd name, but it's a creativity consultancy. And so what we do is we help people and companies develop new ideas, products, services, brands, all types of things. And we do that through two types of methods, either uh, training where we give them a workshop and we give them the skills, or we do consulting where they give, a, give us a brief and we go away and we work on something and we bring it back to them every once in a while. Here's your new product, sir <laughs> or ma'am. And, and that, those are the two kind of methods that we use to work to, with our clients to develop uh, new ideas in a creative way. But I don't know if you heard, but I don't have a creative background. I actually have a, a business background and a, a very, I have actually a very linear mind, a very simple, basic kind of uh, scientific, more, more oriented towards scientific thinking. 
growing up in, in New Jersey and, and being educated in the West, I think critical thinking and logical thinking and, and all of that is much stronger. Even so, and the creative side, okay, fine, is also touched upon in school. But unless you dive deeper into that in the arts and in other creative aspects, that doesn't get developed further, right? And it kind of gets uh, pushed away, as, as, as we all know, right? I, th I think many of us have seen that. And so it took me a long time to rediscover that I had that side of me and I wanted to express it more and more. And basically, the last 15, 20 years has been me trying to get away from the systems and allowing myself to become who I am. And I think entrepreneurship has really allowed me to make that happen a lot more. And so the way I, uh, the way I approach a lot of the companies I work with is that uh, entrepreneurship helped me to define who I am, helped me think about uh, what my identity would be. Literally, the first day, you have to create a business card, don't you? So you have to think, what do I write on there? You could write CEO. That's a cop-out, though, right? You could write founder. That's a cop-out, though. Because like, what, are the, what does that really mean? What does that really do? And then you can think, all right, you have a title. You make something up. And so it's that identity self-exploration of, of who you are. And then you have to tell people and you have to convince them of, of it. And then you have to get them to trust you uh, into this service or product that you're buying or selling and see if they're willing to buy it. And so then there's another element of how much are they willing to pay? And so that's uh, the question of self-worth. And so all these questions of identity, self-worth, service, like what are you going to do, your place in society, I use entrepreneurship as a way to discover who I am. And I use that same, I, I also use entrepreneurship as the methodology to help companies uh, figure out who they are and also the people in the companies to discover who they are. Uh, because in a company, it's the polar opposite of it, isn't it? Here's your business card. Here's your path. Here's how much you're worth. Here's your goals. Everything is defined inside a company. And so uh, entrepreneurship is the polar opposite of that. And for me, it's not so much of a business building exercise, but more of a uh, self-building path. That's how I see entrepreneurship. So, so Brand, how was yeah. this? How was this moment when you were in your comfortably paid job? Yeah in the US right. and then you realize I don't fit here mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I have to do something yeah. and uh, and why I mean well you obviously I mean you have some some heritage some connection yeah. to, to China but why did you why not study that in, in the US I mean why you mm -hmm. decided to do it somewhere else well this was in I graduated in 05 right and I worked two and a half years in this huge uh, hotel company the headquarters of a hotel company and I was doing marketing there and it was a you know billion dollar department there was a lot of potential going on. But this was also 2005, 2006, 2007, pre-iPhone, right? And so there were things that were changing. And, and you can see the business was, or the business model of the past was not as relevant anymore. Uh, and at the same time, my former boss at that company was this Scottish American guy who was a merchant marine and sail, sailed around the world in his 20s and 30s. Uh, and that really, and, and he was this amazing salesperson. And that was his core skill. He was a great salesperson internally and externally. And I saw that that was a, a great skill and a great asset, and I, but I didn't have it very much before. I, like I said, I'm, I'm very logical. I'm more of an introvert. I'm not a very good talker. And I didn't like people, right? So I saw this guy who was a, a millionaire and, uh, and this very successful guy. And so I said, how do I do that? And there were the changes in, with technology, but also in 06, 07, there was a lot of news about China. And do you remember what that news was at that time? Sorry. SARS? Okay, good. What else? Do you remember anything else? <laughs> I mean, that was more or less when I came to China. Yeah, exactly. Pre-Olympics. Uh... Yeah, Olympics was a big thing, right? 
And so there's Olympics, SARS, and a lot of uh, news about piracy, copy, uh, copywriting, and copying, copycatting, and piracy, and all that kind of stuff. And the the factory of the world was the expression that was used very, very often in the media, right? And so there was a lot of news about China, but it was also saying all the bad stuff, but also saying there's all this change that was happening, right? And so I saw that there was a uh, an opportunity to go there and and explore what that could be like. But it's just curiosity, you know. Even though I'm I'm Chinese ethnically, I'm really not.、Uh, I don't speak Cantonese, even my my parents' language. <laughs> I don't speak. I only had to learn Mandarin here in the past ten years, and you know, I just well, I, was, I I chose Shanghai over Hong Kong because I thought this was the economic future of the world, and so I said, okay, this is where I need to be. And so it was really a kind of logical, business-driven decision to come to Shanghai. It could have been, you know, Europe. It could have been Africa. It could have been anywhere. I think. And、uh, I mean, it's curious when that that、uh, I mean, you came here. There's a lot of people that that comes here with with other strategies.、Right. Come here and assume, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just need. I mean, one of my favorite funny funny quotes is like, I just need one percent of the customers. Oh yeah. Or, or something that I need. I just need to sell one RMB to to every Chinese、mm-hmm. Chinese consumer. But you came with a little bit of a strategy, you know. So you came,、mm-hmm. you came here and、uh, and you spent some time. Until you did start your business, and、right. you use this, you you call it mechanism, using、right? yeah. using a、uh, English teaching right, as a,、right. as experience. But h- how was that? I mean, so so the mechanism was English teaching, but I never had any ambition to be an English teacher, right? No, I don't think anybody does, and if you do, that's cool, but I don't. And so I separate the mechanism from the motivation. My motivation to come here in 2007 was to be a part of that change to help China and companies in China and people in China to become more creative. Okay, I saw that there was all this criticism about it, and I also knew there was kind of criticism about myself from、uh, that I gave to myself. These limiting, self-limiting thoughts of, of you're not you're a business person, you're not going to be creative, da 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 da. And so I, I wanted to be a part of that. And so I I taught English, I gained the skills of public speaking, of communicating, of thinking through language, you know, your own language, your own thoughts, and then also. And then I took that, and then I went to a、uh, leadership development company. And so there, it was a lot more about self development, a lot more about uh, hypnosis, uh, something called NLP. A lot of these kind of methodologies and, and ways of thinking that are about improving yourself, right? And so I did that as a marketing guy in that in that company for two and a half years. So it was two and a half years in. Let me summarize. It was two and a half years in a hotel company, two and in DC, two and a half years as an English teacher, two and a half years working. As a marketing guy in this leadership development company, and a lot of that was kind of leading up to developing Let's Make Great. So, first company was kind of internal consultant, project manager. Second com- second role was、uh, training and training and public speaking, self development for me. But then the third one,、uh, self development for other people. And so I combined all of that. My passion for creativity internally. The ability of、uh, the services of, of training and workshops, and the small business idea of running my own small business, and that's how I started Lessman Great. So it was a five-year.、Uh, I can't say it was a plan because I didn't expect it, but it was a, a five-year journey to kind of discover it, and everything was leading towards the next thing, right? One thing informed the next, informed the next, and so I, I wish, you know, it's in your twenties, you're exploring, you're not really sure, you're experimenting. There's there's mistakes and all that, but、uh, that's how I got. At 29, I was like, okay, I need to start something.
and that was this company now. Well, I mean, you know what it's uh, what people say about entrepreneurship. Yeah. I mean, uh, plans, yeah. uh, plans are, are are worthless, but planning, planning is everything. You know, right. th think about what you're going to do. And strategy is very important in a very dynamic market like uh, like China. Mm -hmm. uh, the journey can can end up being very, very, very important. I mean, mm -hmm. There's a lot of companies that change, pivot, and and with the dynamism of uh, of the market and the amount of opportunities, you need to have this ability to focus and yeah. to to decide what's important, but also Sometimes the the really good opportunities are just you you get to capture them and work with them mm -hmm. because you are on the journey because mm -hmm. you're working on that. Mm -hmm. So you, you went from these uh, like one man show startup in China as yeah. your yourself as a, as your product and your and your <laughs> company yeah. to to be part of a small team and now building your own team. And uh, and one of the things that you're doing now that I find quite interesting is that you are bringing all of these ideas of growth mm -hmm. into into big companies. Right. So you are working to bring these entrepreneurial spirit right. methodologies mm -hmm. know-how creativity starting up into into multinationals in china yeah yeah so how, how's this going it's going well it's changed a lot in the first five years it was very in the first year of the five years it, it was very difficult primarily because i again i was a business i had a business degree i don't have i don't know anything about creativity like technically i don't I don't speak the language. I don't have an MBA. I don't have any advanced degree. I didn't have any money. And even though the family background thing now sounds interesting, at the time, it's not something that, it's not something, you can't sell that. Like, well, you know, did I tell you that my grandfather was, you know, nobody cares, right? So uh, it's interesting for you and me, but from a business perspective, you can't sell it. And so uh, the first couple of years was very difficult. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was all learning on the job. And I had to find, I didn't have any partners too. So I had to find other people who would be willing to do this with me. And uh, how was it? How was this, that process? Because that's also, mm -hmm. I mean, that's also very relevant for people that, uh, that wants to start something. Yeah. And uh, I mean, ideas are, are, are easy. Right? Everybody right. has a lot of ideas and, and right. there's plenty of opportunities in China. But what really yeah. makes a difference is the execution. Whatever exactly. you do that is good, you're yeah. going to be copied, you're going to be cloned. Right. So your ability to execute is, is fundamental. Mm -hmm. And obviously you cannot do it by yourself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do you look or phone your, your partners in your business? So the team now uh, and, and over the years, what, we, what I did very, very intentionally was I looked at all my weaknesses, you know, the, lack of, the lack of language ability, the lack of design experience, the lack of creativity or the perceived lack of creativity. And I try to find people who would, could augment that or supplement that. And so everyone on the team is what I call international Chinese, educated in the West or had studied in the West or grew up in the West and is Chinese ethnically or, or the reverse, right? And so there's some internationalness and also the Chinese side. And so that is a way to create a bridge. And so everybody on the team has this kind of dual mindsets, which is very useful for the creative elements, right? So that we can think in, in multiple perspectives. That's definitely a very, very important lesson yeah. for, for an entrepreneur. I mean, if you're not able to acknowledge right. what, what are your weaknesses and what are your weak points and trying to, to complement that and you see just this, this image of the, the solo founder <laughs> that will do everything. And, it's a mirage. That's true. And that's a really good way no? because right. we always talk about, yeah, I mean, you want to have some good good chemistry with yeah. with your co-founders yeah. but it also needs to be a natural fit uh, mm -hmm. and this natural fit in terms of complementing each other mm -hmm. that's that's really really important that was huge i think that was one major thing that i i try to focus on and the second major thing was cutting out all the expenses so even to this day we don't have an actual office we have a shared office that we use occasionally but it's super cheap right and so we cut all the expenses and we made sure that the market if the market's not fully ready for for something like innovation and creativity uh, then 
we shouldn't take on the expenses to for the income that's not there yet. And so we have to be very, very, very careful and be in like termite mode before this was, uh, or cockroach mode before it was a, a thing, right? Now people talk about cockroach mode, but I was always in cockroach mode. Like, why would you, why would you leave that, right? And, uh, and now, after five years later, I think the market is caught up and people are requesting entrepreneurship from us now. People are requesting creative workshops, innovation workshops. They're requesting things like design thinking and sprint workshops. And I was like, you know, this was not, nobody was asking for this five years ago, six years ago, or, or very, very, very few people were, or companies were. And so this is, now I see this change and it's a lot more exciting and a lot more interesting for us. So what do you think was the tipping point? Um, was something external, something that changed in the market or, or is something that you did? That, uh, no, no, I, I, wish, I wish it was something I did, <laughs> but it's really, the, mar- the market is so big, right? And that's another thing that you have to think about. You think when you get here, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And they're going to know who I am. But, you know, this thing, this Shanghai is a country by itself. And if you don't think of it that way, you're going to be very, very disappointed <laughs> and, 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 but also positively surprised when it, things do work out, right? So I think what's happened is that innovation in China has become acceptable. The economy has been consistently strong enough that people are thinking about it. The old guard is, have left or have been pressured to take on, to find newer opportunities. So that forces us to, it forces them to think about us or people like us to help them work. So in the past five years, we've seen cycles in industries that come to us. Basically, every year is a new type of industry or a, a group of people. So the first year was very much manufacturing. The first two years, a year and a half, was manufacturing companies. The second, third year was very much retail companies. The fourth and fifth year was very much professional services. Right, And now this year, we're coming back to manufacturing. And I think it was very strange. Like, why are we getting all these manufacturing companies? Why are we getting all these uh, retail companies? And I think it's because of the pressure from the pressure of the of the market pushing on these specific industries to innovate, to think for, more forwardly. And then they're like, all right, well, we don't know how to do this. We need to go find a company to to help us to to provide these services, right, or push us to think in a new new direction. And so that's where we come in. So earlier, it's actually quite interesting, especially for people not in China, to yeah. talk about China innovation. Right. I think that this is changing now. There's more uh, more Chinese companies that are getting some uh, some better publicity. Yeah. There's some some initial innovation yeah. coming out of China that yeah. that is uh, is being expanded to to other markets. Mm-hmm. But still, there's a lot of people that think about the China that you mentioned earlier. No, these mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. these copycat China. Right. These are uh, just trying to do the same but but cheaper. Mm-hmm. And well, you are working on innovation in China right. for China. Right. So how is this different? I mean, how do you see this innovation different? How do you see the players in that innovation process different? Well, I think what's interesting is the it's not just China in this case, but a lot of the things that have been happening are digital companies or digital agencies are now getting involved in innovation, quote unquote innovation. Innovation companies are now getting more into uh, marketing <laughs> and con- traditional consultancies are now getting into design. And so there's all these uh, weird uh, overlaps that are happening and, and pushing the, the ecosystem into these all these different ways. And so there's things that look like innovation, but aren't really. And, and for me, that's kind of like a marketing campaign, innovation theater, right? You create some really cool, hip, momentary campaign that makes the brand cool for a minute, right? Or uh, a few seconds. And then, but is that systemically integrated into the company so that they have a 
a real uh, innovation capability. I think that's what I'm focused on, that long-term development, that ability to continuously pump out new products and services in, in, a, in a regular way. Uh, and so I think that is something that's getting very, very muddy uh, in the market in Shanghai and China, and I think a- across the world from what I hear. That's one major thing. And so what I, why I bring that up is because the requests come from different places. It used to be salespeople would be saying like, all right, we need to grow the company. What are you going to do for us? Right. And now it's a little bit towards the marketing side. Uh, and so and then now, uh, so that was like maybe two years ago, maybe more marketing. And then now it's more of the innovation departments that are requesting it, which is like, whoa, there's an innovation department. This is new. Right. So this is uh, all these changes are it's slowly, well, maybe it's slow because I'm in it, but it's very quickly uh, maturing, right? In just five years that I've been active in this uh, industry, I've seen these changes. And I know if I talk to the old OGs, uh, they have seen different changes uh, in the past uh, or like uh, how the market has changed and all that kind of stuff. So changes, changes <laughs> yeah. are happening in, yeah. in, uh, in multinationals. On the business side, yeah. And, uh, and I mean, multinationals are starting to realize about that. Right. They're actually having like dedicated departments. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that you do a lot is these uh, startups within a corporate. You know, yeah. This looks, sounds like a bit like, a, like an oxymoron. Yeah. It's like all, all the opposite things in, in uh, trying to put them together and, mm-hmm. and try to make that, uh, that happen. So how, how's, I mean, how yeah. many, you're, you're working with a few, few companies right. in, in different sectors. Right. But, um, I mean, I want to talk about that, but more specifically, I want to talk about one, one key thing. I want to make sure that we talk about that. Mm-hmm. So when you were describing your, um, your experience as a founder, mm-hmm. this, uh, this frugality, yeah. uh, ramen diet is actually a luxury. Yeah. So <laughs> we have the fun diet here. <laughs> <laughs> so that in a, in a corporate setup, is, right. is, it, it doesn't exist, or, yeah. or at least naturally doesn't exist. How do you think this is, in, in terms of design, mm-hmm. I mean, how is this shaping um, the whole launch of this entrepreneurship. So, yeah, people are now, I think what's happened was because of amazing changes in the in Chinese society from Chinese innovators and Chinese startups, people are more receptive to, to the idea of entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship as a, as a mechanism to create new innovation or changes in, in, in the world, right? What I've seen is a lot of corporates, when they are talking about creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship, they go from a very theoretical point of view they think in terms of the planning and the concept rather than the execution of it. And so they say, wouldn't this new app be wonderful? And they have no actual uh, reason for, for why it should exist besides the fact that it would help them try to sell more or put their product in front of more people rather than actually creating value or uh, having a function for the user. I think that is uh, that's a major shift in terms of uh, method or mindset in, in companies and in, in an entrepreneur. And so for us, we had to uh, shift them away from thinking about the business to actually building a business product, right? And so they, they think in terms of PowerPoints and, and we think in terms of product, right? And I mean like real product, not just the concept of the product. It's a weird difference, a weird distinction, but that's something that needs to change or that's something that we needed to create a distinction for so that people could understand what they were actually doing. Because a lot of times when you're in a company, you have a budget, you hire an agency, you hire a consultant, you hire somebody, a freelancer to do the work for you. But if when you do that, and that's fine, you know, there's efficiencies for that and it's, it's a lot more effective in terms of deadlines. But when you do that, you're also outsourcing the learning. You're giving somebody else a chance to learn and understand the product in a deeper way. And at the same time, 
as the as the holder of the purse strings, you have certain demands. And so you demand the freelancer or the consultant or the agency fulfill these certain requirements without having the real rationale for it. So those agencies or those people understand uh, or learn new things, but they don't they don't get to integrate it into the actual product. And so what we do is try to do uh, learn by doing or, or learn and doing at the same time. So training and we're giving them several months of a project where they're developing their own ideas, finding their own problems, developing their own ideas, developing their own prototypes, and then going out there and testing and researching and improving it. And so uh, that is our our method, or that's the way we've been trying to approach this. Not just training, which was originally my background, but integrating more of the uh, hands-on approach. It sounds so cliche to say that as I'm thinking about it right now, hands-on approach, but literally it is that. And we, we try to get them to interact with their ideas and the customers in a more real way, making sure they're going outside, making sure they're doing the survey, making sure they're they're getting the data to support their ideas rather than just outsourcing it all, which is very dangerous. So how, I mean, you're working with these teams in, in multinational companies right. in China. Right. I mean, these teams are, are mainly local. Right. So how, I mean, how do you see these teams? Um, I mean, these teams yeah. obviously have a, a local perception of things. They work mm-hmm. for an international company, but mm-hmm. uh, they are, most of them are born and raised right. here. Totally. They might have had some international education, but they're local people that have a very specific perception about things here. Yeah. And some of the decision makers are not. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might be here long term or uh, or they may be even abroad. I mean, and yeah. trying to, to yeah. make decisions on what works, what doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So do you see any any tension there? Do you see any 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 challenges or, or any interesting Yeah, patterns? sure. I mean a lot of the managers that we used to work with were foreigners and so they the, the most common requests are my team's not creative, can you make them creative? <laughs> and I think it's not that they're not creative. It's that it's just that their expectations of creativity may be different. And so there's a major tension there. A lot of these manufacturing companies, they have these foreign bosses and they have these uh, locally staffed teams. Their expectations of creativity are just totally different. So that creates it just they don't have that. The, the Chinese teams often don't have the experience to know where to push the boundaries, where to experiment a little more, where to where, where to propose something and how to propose something. So there's there's a lot of difference in expectations and that causes a lot of friction. Yeah. So in this interest, this growing interest of, yeah. uh, and, and more structured approach to, to innovation that multinationals have in China, how do you see them looking into startups? I mean, thinking about startups, uh, are they part of the, this mix? How do, they, how do they see the startups? Yeah, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of companies who are hosting hackathons and they are throwing money at it and they're finding a startup to collaborate with and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the question for me is, is that real internal capability building? Are you actually changing the company fundamentally or are you just kind of picking at the sides of something? And so I think that's all good and it's necessary for as a first step. And I'm not criticizing it. I love it. And it's very interesting to be a part of. But is that creating any real change? You know, we have a hackathon. So what, you know? There's been hackathons and there's been these contests, idea contests since the beginning of time, basically, right? Where are the real changes coming from? And I think it's it's very much to do with the the bureaucracy. And so uh, I don't and, and bureaucracy just sounds like this big fancy word for why changes isn't happening, but it doesn't explain it. It's just there's no real motivation to do it. I mean, everyone gets their paycheck, everyone gets their cap, you know, they meet their goals and they exceed their goals, and everybody they celebrate with these big lavish uh, dinner parties and everything like that. But where's the real willingness to change? Because usually 
you know, after a certain period of time, people want to, to go out and start their own thing, right? And so people who have that drive find it very difficult to, to survive in there. And so I hope these entrepreneurial programs that we're working with helps to show them that there is a mechanism inside the company that they can stay kind of part-time or after hours or overtime to develop their ideas and stay internally. Because obviously every company offers a, a fantastic platform if you know how to use it. But because of the Chinese mindset, you know, like I said earlier, very much more introverted, a lot, lot more shy, a lot less vocal, uh, a lot less willing to push the boundaries, uh, traditionally speaking, uh, and, and generally speaking. You're going to need to create these systems, these programs for people to go into to test their ideas, to learn the methods, and to uh, have a, an authorized excuse to be creative. So there is there needs to be that. <laughs> so... It's an interesting take. So we at Chan Accelerator have yeah. some open innovation programs. Right, right, right. Um, we don't, so we, I mean, eventually some of these open innovation programs, they build capabilities and change internally, but that, but that's by accident. I mean, or, or, mm -hmm. or a specialization is more, yeah. it's a side effect. We're more into the matching of startups and, and multinationals mm -hmm. to try to, uh, to find mutual beneficial collaborations mm -hmm. that are sustainable mm -hmm. and that they don't just end up in a picture or a party, mm -hmm. but they end up in a, in a tangible outcome, a, a business result right. uh, that is positive for both parties, or if it's just something doesn't work, uh, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. No, but I mean, sometimes when one of the problems that we see is exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I mean, these, uh, these need for change and adoption, right. Right. And, uh, and obviously internally it's complicated if you bring somebody from external, it might be even, even more difficult. But one of the trends that we're seeing a lot is the search of, uh, so we talked initially about Chinese and it's, it's only copies, mm -hmm. does not innovate. Mm -hmm. Do China is able to innovate uh, and this innovation for China done in China. Mm -hmm. But we're seeing a new trend of China innovation for the world. Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of these multinationals in particular areas or trying to find solutions, creative solutions, new solutions for some problems that have uh, that are born in China, that are developed, tested in China, but then the goal is to deploy them globally. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, are you seeing any any interest of uh, of taking these these entrepreneurial projects as China being the test best bet, and then bringing the expanding it to to other markets? Uh, no, it's, this is not something I've seen personally. I, I think the what I I think the effect that I see is that people are a lot more confident. Okay, and they're a lot more proud. And so. What I want to say is that when I started this company, uh, I, I had this catchphrase, which was the next 100 years of innovation in China. This is something that my company wanted to strive for, to help create and be a part of and drive the next 100 years of innovation through entrepreneurship, through uh, corporate innovation projects, whatever, because of the perception that China was not creative. When I say that now, that catchphrase, it falls so flat. Nobody cares anymore. They're like, yeah, we're creative and innovative already. <laughs> and so the market has changed. And so there's a certain bravado and confidence that comes along with it. And I think the next step after that is more willingness towards innovation, entrepreneurship and things like that. But that's something that, that has uh, changed. I haven't seen the kind of concrete changes that you're talking about. I know there may be, okay, the only, the one example maybe is that when certain clients have a lot of, yeah, certain local counterparts here have a lot of expectations uh, from their foreign counterparts on what's going on in China. Can you tell us what's going on? Like, you know, show us the WeChat thing. Show us, show us the, 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 the bike sharing thing or whatever it is, right? All the, 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 the online purchases, all that stuff, the live streaming. 
because uh, it's evolved in such a way here that it's interesting for foreigners or people outside of China to pay attention to. And so they're the local department heads here have to explain that out to the Western, the Western headquarters, whatever it is. They're finding it's very hard to explain because it's such a unique thing. They don't, the corollaries or the, the similar things are so different, right? The, the, the things that you would compare, compare it to, they're quite different. It's like a Chinese apple and, and the Western apple or an American apple. They, they look different somehow for some for whatever reason. That's quite quite interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the things that um, I mean, I have here with me something called Proto. Yeah, man. Uh, you're also founder of these, and um, I find I think this is one example of these um, Chinese-born global innovation products. So mm-hmm. Proto is a is a game mm-hmm. for uh, for innovators that uh, that was originally launched as a need for you to work with uh, with some of these teams and right. create a solution right. that helped these. Uh, Non-creative, mm-hmm. but actually creative teams mm-hmm. in uh, in China. Mm-hmm. Well, you you did a crowdfunding campaign with these, right. and now uh, you have. I mean, you solved some of these kids in how many countries? Yeah, twenty different countries. In 20 at least, countries. yeah, we, we so, never counted, but yeah, at least twenty. Yeah. So it's probably more than twenty. Yeah. I know there are multinationals mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. people that they bought kids here, mm-hmm. and they actually innovation leads here that bought. Mm-hmm. Exactly, a yeah. bunch of kids, and then they took them to right. to uh, to their headquarters mm-hmm. uh, and and expand them to to other areas. So there's probably a wild, bunch yeah. of, of places. Yeah. Uh, but this was born here, so that's right. that's one that's one uh, one example. Right. Unfortunately, I mean that might need to be another another podcast. Because we're really <laughs> running out of time oh, cool. today. Uh, how can people uh, connect with you? Do you blog? Do you share some of these insights? How they can get a proto? Mm-hmm. If they want one, how can they learn more about Proto? All right. Well, first of all, just really, really quick. Proto is a card game that we created or co-created with designers, entrepreneurs, and other creatives to show the innovation process and show the entrepreneurship process. Right? It's a card game, and now it's uh we we threw it onto Kickstarter and we were successfully funded. And if you go to proto-start.com, proto-start.com, you can find the story there and you can see all the latest updates for that. And you know, we just got a message from Mexico about this guy who tweaked the game in a certain way, and a, another one in, from uh, a couple of days before that about how uh, they they tried it in Germany and stuff like that. Oh, and we're gonna go to Germany to do a uh, a workshop with Proto, so that's really exciting. Awesome, and, yeah. So it's really that Chinese innovation spreading around the world that's that's happening, and we're being a part of that in, in a small way. Proto startcom at Let's Make Great on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Let's Make Great, all one word. And it's basically it. And I think there, I do daily postings on uh, creativity and entrepreneurship on my Instagram. So you can see a whole bunch of, uh, of my thoughts and, and the, the, the philosophies that we believe in. Great. Thank you very much, Ryan, for, uh, for sharing today for sure. Thank you. so many things from your grand-grandparent to, <laughs> to your latest, uh, latest creation and, and new and coming trips. My pleasure. Thank Great you, Oscar. Great to have you today. Yeah. Bye. See you.